Hi, this is Shotgun Tom Kelly, and now that I have your attention, you wanted to be close to him in the dugout during his impressive 15-year Major League career because he was always watching, listening, and looking for an edge. Now, Kurt Bavakwa brings that edge to Dirty Kurt's dugout, where you can listen, watch, and be a part of the most honest, informative baseball show available today. Now, here's Kurt! Hey everyone, how are you today? Welcome to episode six of Dirty Kurt's Dugout. At least that's what I've been told. I, for some reason, uh, thought it was seven or eight. That's because I'm having so much fun. Uh, if you want to know, and you're not in front of a television, uh, the Houston Astros are whipping up a little bit on the Chicago White Sox, uh, six nothing. So the Tony Larusa, Dusty Baker feud continues. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that, I'll I'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, we've got a lot to touch on this week. Uh, Jace Tingler's been fired. Uh, by the San Diego Padres. Of course, the New York Mets let go of their manager uh, a few days before that. Uh, there's been no announcement at all by this San Diego ball club, nor the Mets for that matter, uh, on uh, any types of meetings they're having with potential managers, people that they might be interested in. Um, we are going to stay on top of that and let you all know uh, I'm going to give you my opinion on it um, a little later in the show, but uh, I want to thank uh, Hacienda Casablanca uh, right now for being our title sponsor here and let you know that uh, we're picking out dates for, I think there's got a good chance to be uh, a watch party next Tuesday. And I say that because I, I threw it out to uh, producer Joe who, uh, Unfortunately, is a, a little under the weather today, and he's not here, at least right now with us, but he's going to try to join us in a few minutes. Uh, Alan, our technical guru, is uh, is kind of filling his shoes and also filling his own shoes, so he's doing it all uh, today. So I thank him. Uh, but uh, getting back to the watch party, uh, normally Hacienda has a, uh, a night called Taco Tuesday. So we might get in on Taco Tuesday, being that I love tacos so much, and have another watch party with you. And uh, we'll go out to Hacienda Casablanca in El Cajon, if you uh, don't know where it is, uh, 700 North Johnson in El Cajon. Uh, it's easy to get to. Uh, it's right off the eight. And uh, you can come out and join me, Joe. Uh, we had quite a few people there. Uh, the first time we had one of these watch parties, the game was a little disappointing. It was, uh, if, if, if you don't know, we, we scheduled it so that uh, it would be on one of the nights that the Padres were in Los Angeles. And, and it ended up being the first game of the 10-day uh, road trip that the Padres went on. And when they came back, they were basically out of the wild card race. Uh, it was an unfortunate road trip, uh, uh, not only for us at Hacienda that night, uh, but it, it was also unfortunate for Jace Tingler because let's face it, this ball club did not play well the second half. Was it Jace Tingler's fault? Uh, the answer to that in my mind is no. Uh, we will discuss that. I want uh, your comments. Uh, I want what you think uh, now that he is fired. Uh, who's the best man to take his place in that dugout? Who will get the most out of these players? I don't think you and I really know the answer to that. But uh, we're going to try to fill uh, in those gaps and figure it out. We will try. There's names being thrown out. Um, Bruce Bochy, 
Buck Showalter, who we see on MLB Network all the time. Um, and there's others, Ron Washington. There are possibilities, and it's got a lot to do with what way that Chase Tingler, uh, Chase Tingler, sorry, that was a slip of the tongue, the way A.J. Preller wants to go. Um, we have uh, a really special guest today, and we're going to get to him in about five minutes from now. But uh, the first thing I want to uh, to tell you all, if you didn't see it, was that uh, Eddie Robinson, the oldest living uh, major league player, passed away a couple of days ago at his ranch outside of Dallas, Texas. Um, I, I've got a warm place in my heart for Eddie Robinson. He was our general manager when I was with uh, the Texas Rangers uh, in 1977, 1978. And uh, there's a little incident uh, that I'm going to share with you uh, after we talk to Vida. Uh, yeah, if you're wondering who our special guest is and you haven't had a chance to uh, hear or see uh, via our post on social media, Vita Blue is going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes. So, yeah, call all your friends and let them all know because Vita is going to be on live with us. Uh, but getting back to Eddie Robinson uh, and uh, the little story that I'm going to uh, share with you all later uh, after – uh, we talked to Vita for a couple of minutes on the phone. Uh, Eddie Robinson began his major league career uh, a year before uh, he was drafted into uh, World War II. Uh, he was in the big leagues for a little bit in 1942 and then literally was out for military service, as quite a few guys were. And boy, we don't give these guys enough credit and all credit is due naturally with the military service that they give us in our country. But I'm talking about missing three years. I mean, Ted Williams missed three years. Jerry Coleman missed three years. Eddie Robinson missed three years. And boy, there's a lot more that missed three years. How these guys came back and performed at the level that they did when they did come back really blows me away. And I know some of them played on army teams and base teams. Uh, and, and, and that was kind of a plus for them because it kind of kept them out of the action or it kept them from being deployed, so to speak, into the front lines. So it was important to play ball good if you were going to play ball on these teams. And it kept the, a lot of these guys out of the line of fire. Eddie Robinson was one of them. He has some great stories, had uh, some great stories. God rest his soul. Rest in peace, Eddie. I love you. And I'm going to tell that little story about what happened in the locker room with, uh, with one of the Ranger players uh, in the middle of a game, by the way. Uh, freaky. Freaky thing, but uh, we're going to get into that um, after uh, I have the privilege of uh, of bringing on uh, our guest for this week, and he this guy um, he probably uh, uh, doesn't even remember uh, the first time he ever faced me. Uh, you know what? I, I think I'm going to hold off on that, and I'm going to. I'm going to ask him uh, if he remembers the first time uh, I ever faced him. I, I know one thing I do. And uh, I know one thing that Vida doesn't know, and that is uh, one of my most prized possessions is a copy of a May, pretty sure it's May, April or May edition of Sports Illustrated in uh, 1971. Now, I was still in AAA at this time, but we got Sports Illustrated at home, and my mom put this copy aside 
because I had told my dad some stories about Vita Blue the year before. Uh, but again, I don't want to give this away. Vita Blue is one of those guys that comes along not very often. I'm not even going to compare him to Mark Fidrich, but he's that kind of player where all the other players in baseball want to see him. And it's not just the bird. It was Fernando Valenzuela, if you remember that name. Everybody wanted to see this guy. Everybody wanted to see the Bash brothers, who Vita had an opportunity to play with, I think, for a couple of years in Oakland. Uh, and when I talk about the Bash brothers, I'm talking about Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. Uh, is Vita on the line, Alan? If he's not, it's okay. We got uh, him. Because you can join our show and you can ask Vita or myself questions uh, or make comments and we will comment back on it. But Vita, I, uh, I appreciate you joining us. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Kurt. Anytime, man. You're part of my baseball family. So reach out to me anytime you need me. I'm there for you, brother. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I was uh, on your introduction. I was going to tell everybody uh, the first time that that I ever faced you, and I decided to hold back on it because I wanted to see if you knew <laughs> the first time I ever faced you. If well, you don't remember, it's, I'm good with it. No, I don't remember it. Come on, okay. man. Okay. I mean, 72 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, it was I in Birmingham. What I, had, I don't remember what I had for breakfast, man, huh? It was in Birmingham, and it was in the Southern Who's League in 1960. I was playing for Asheville. Were you? Oh, that was that was Cincinnati's. You're right. Yep. And then again, Nick, again the year wow. after, you were playing for the Iowa Oaks. And were you uh, in Indianapolis? I was. Uh, I was at Indianapolis. Right. Okay. That was since with, with Dave Concepcion. Oh yeah. Davey was my uh, was my teammate. Uh, so you remember Dave who hit like 230 that year, but you don't remember me when I hit 330. I remember <laughs> <laughs> you know That's tell you what pictures instant amnesia, man. <laughs> the uh, the the thing that I remember most about your club in 69 was the size of some of the players that were on your team. That I think that was the first time in my career besides uh, my first year in the Florida State League, a couple of years before that, when we faced the Dodgers A-ball team, they had Tom Selleck's brother pitching for them, and he was like six eight. <laughs> but you you had a you had a couple of guys on your team. I thought I had gotten to the big leagues when we play uh, played Birmingham the first time. I mean, you had Bobby Brooks on that team. You had Bill McNulty. You oh, had a guy. A, that's a good name from the past. Pete Kogel. Pete, Pete Kogel. I was just going to say Gene Tennis was there. You, yeah. These are guys that a lot of people in baseball, they don't recognize their names because they never made it big in the, in major leagues. But these guys were, boy, they were some kind of good players. Yeah, I, I got lucky, Kurt. I had a great uh minor league career in double a and i moved up to triple a as you mentioned in the american association but uh I, I got lucky to be in oakland at the right place at the right time because they were looking for a left-handed pitcher there was a guy named oh i think it was bob pierce he was a left-hander oh i think that was his name but anyway i come along and dick williams as you got a chance to play for he didn't pull no punches he said he's going to take the best 25 players he could take when they broke camp. And I just happened to be one of those guys. But I spent six years in the Army Reserve. So before I went to spring training, I had went to going to Fayetteville, North Carolina, the home of the 82nd Airborne. And I was running in those boots and doing maneuvers and stuff. And I left there and went straight to spring training. And that's how I made the team out of 
1971, man, uh, just straight out of boot camp. 71, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a year that I'm sure you're not going to remember. And a lot of us aren't going to remember either. Uh, for the folks out there that are scrambling <laughs> to look uh, in Google 1971, uh, this guy on the screen right now was only 24 and eight with a 1.8 ERA, 312 innings pitched and eight complete game shutouts. That's, Complete game shutouts <laughs> doesn't count the 24 complete games. Folks, <laughs> I, I know you, I just want you to sit back and, and breathe that in for a minute because you're never going to see that well, again. Never going to happen again. Hey, man, the, the way the game is, yeah, they're, they're so, so critical in monitoring the, the players, uh, their workload that, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that pitchers don't get to go the nine and and there are some there are a lot of guys that are capable of doing that but you know with the analytics you know the second time through the lineup and the third time through the lineup and they want that starting pitcher out of there you know you face a guy twice in one game that's enough and they hand it off to the bullpen for the setup guy and of course the closer comes in and close out those games but that's the nature of the game and uh but uh, I was so lucky to be playing when I played, and, and the managers allowed you to throw 100-plus, you know, uh, pitches. And, uh, hey, man, I wish every athlete could experience being in the zone the way I was in 1971. And uh, it's something that I'll never forget. And I was so fortunate to, to build a good age team. And, uh, and I had a great supporting cast of uh, the Bandos and Gene Tennises and Dick Greens and Reggie Jacksons and – Joe Rudis of this world to uh, to make my life a little 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 easier as far as uh, me being on the mound and pitching. But we had some great battles with you guys in Kansas City too, Kurt. I'll never forget those. And uh, you were always in the middle of some controversy, man. I don't know why the, if you were in the middle of all this stuff. What what was going on? <laughs> I, I was angry. <laughs> man i don't know it was it, i think it was uh i know one thing i got my i got some uh knots on my head one night sal bando put on it uh, but i when we got in uh, when i got into it uh one night in kansas city at third base with billy north was oh my lord yeah that was a that was a good one and that that was all me. That was all my fault. Uh, you know, Billy had a little hot dog in him. Uh, I had he just had a rolled. lot of hot dog, man. Yeah, he had a lot of hot dog. I was trying to be nice. Uh, <laughs> Billy was a pretty good player, though. But Ra Raleigh had just gotten through punching me out in the eighth inning with runners in scoring position uh, in a tie game against you guys. And that was at a time where – you know, we were starting to challenge you a little bit for the American League. Uh, yeah, West for sure, Eastern. for sure. Yeah, we had some uh, we had some pretty good ball clubs, and that was before Brett even came around. But uh, yeah, I remember that night, and uh, I remember seeing a picture the next day in the paper. I didn't know how I got the knots on my head, and I found I found <laughs> out the next day. <laughs> I found out the next day because the picture showed Joe Rudy, or not Joe Rudy, but Sal Bando in midair with his knees tucked up behind, behind him coming down on my head. And I was on the ground fighting with Billy North. So I, I realized how, uh, uh, how I got the knots then. But I always appreciated you guys never nailing me uh, for uh, – for the little spats that we used to have with you guys. Because I, I, I remember uh, I never I, – I always had uh, such a great time playing against certain teams uh, just with the competitive nature in me. The Oakland A's were one of those teams for those years. Uh, even though 71 was your year and then you went on to have – other great years, 73, 4, and 5, or 2, 3, and 4, was it? You won the world championships there. 2, two, two, two 3, and 4. And, uh, 2, 3, and we 4. We won a good role, man. But but you guys were some good competition in the American League 
Western Division. And, uh, you know, it was the Chiefs and the Raiders. They had a thing going on. So it carried over to the baseball field. And uh, I enjoyed that part of it too, Kurt. I, I think competing against the best teams in your division I, I, in the American League, that's always a challenge for you. And you, you accept that. It was, it was good, clean fun, except for the brawls that we had. And, no, we, we never had you on the radar as somebody that we wanted to pluck in the back. But, uh, you know, the, the guys that were, hell, they said, they said, as long as we're getting him out, leave him the shit alone. <laughs> <laughs> Let the sleeping dog sleep, man. <laughs> I remember um, after that fight, we went to Oakland and uh, on a road trip, and you guys had 50,000 people in the stands one night. Uh, you were pitching, and – I didn't start the game, but I came in to pinch hit. And I got to tell you, that's the worst I was ever booed in my whole career was that night in Oakland. <laughs> and it was great. That might have been the only base hit I ever got off of you because I they got me worked up. They got my blood flowing. It was good. <laughs> well, Kurt, you're probably one of those guys that I never threw a curveball to. You might be on my all-fastball team. You, I was, I was, I could never figure that out. I think, I think you threw me one. It was high. And then you went dad to hell with it. I'm just going to throw in fastballs. Well, had I had a good curveball, I would have used it, man. Oh, I'm sure you would have. So let me ask you this and I'm going to, I'm going to bring up a name and I hope it, uh, it doesn't rub you the wrong way. You mentioned Dick Williams. A lot of people didn't like Dick Williams. I happen to love Dick Williams. I think he got the best out of his players. He had a way about him of getting to a player where he would play his best. And I don't know if it was like that when he was back with the Oakland A's, but was Dick like that back then? Of course he was. That was his DNA, man. He'd either piss you off and make you want to show him that you were worthy of, of being on his team and being a starter or you would just fade away and he would trade you. You had two options, but I agree with you 100%. He got the best out of me, and uh, he came to the mound one day. I don't remember who we were playing, but Gino's on the mound. said, hey, come on, man. What the heck you doing? You're better than this. You want to stay in this game or not? I'll get somebody up if you don't want to pitch. And when I get back to that dugout, I want you to be the vital blue that I, that I expect you to be. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Well, boy, you you uh, you mentioned the guys that you had uh, alongside of you on the Oakland A's team, and it it really brings back a lot of memories. One of the uh, the memories that I have are your contract disputes with Charlie Finley. Uh, I mean, if you <laughs> nowadays, can you imagine? Can you imagine the raise you would have gotten if you would have thrown out a year like you had in '71, and the raise that you would have gotten in '72, and Charlie what? He, you guys met. He didn't want to give you hardly anything as a raise. <laughs> he didn't pay anybody. He didn't pay the brothers. He didn't pay the Italians. He didn't pay the Puerto Ricans. <laughs> he didn't pay the Venezuelans. He didn't pay the Jews. He didn't pay the Greeks. He didn't pay the Iranians. He didn't pay nobody. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a, it was a, it was a tough time, Kurt. But uh, I, I think. It uh, it changed my attitude about the game, you know the business side of it. I was this young naive kid, like you mentioned that that was twenty four and eight and all these complete games and stuff. But it was a side of the game that I learned about, not in the hard way, but I learned about it through through public opinion. And uh, I realized that this guy's not going to give me a raise, and uh, it made me think that he didn't appreciate my effort. Uh, you know, as being a member of the organization that he owned, and uh, it kind of soured my stomach, and it, it left a bad taste in my mouth. Till this day, it still, it still has a bad taste in my mouth. I, I thought I was worthy of a raise, but as you mentioned, in today's market, who knows what that would have, what that would have gotten me. But uh, hey, Kurt, I, I'm, I'm a 72 year old man. I have good health, and I have a few friends, and I get to express myself on shows like yours, and hopefully, you listeners. Oh, enjoying themselves, man. Oh, you have more than a few friends, my friend. I can promise you that. I mean, I'm hoping, and I know you probably still don't because all of us got rid of classics. 
do you still have the Cadillac that Charlie gave you? <laughs> That's probably a dumb question, right? No, no, I don't. You know, it was a 1971 El Dorado, and uh, it had a uh, it had a 24 gallon gas tank on it. But at that time, gas was only 50 cents a gallon, though. <laughs> but the crazy the crazy about this was he gave me the car. And this was during the time when Superfly and Chef uh, and all those B movies came out. And I'm like, man, I'm 21 years old. Give me a Camaro, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, home run hitters used to drive Cadillacs. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, you got to figure, yeah, that, that, uh, well, what did Charlie know? Yeah, Charlie, uh, you know, when you look back on him, though, even though you have a bad taste in your mouth, um, him and uh, and that guy from Chicago, the hell's his name? Uh, they Bill were Peck. some pretty. They yeah, they came up with some pretty good ideas, and and they were innovative. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, Mister Philly came up with the the white shoes and the. Green, uh, orange top. I mean, the orange baseball, which never caught on as as a real, uh, you know, part of the game. But we used those things in spring training, and it was a lot of fun. But they were credit to the game. You have to give those guys the credit that you just mentioned, Kurt, because uh, they were very innovative. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, we had the white shoes and the green and gold. And most teams' colors were gray or black or white or something, and uh, we had the green and gold, and we. We were a special group of players, and uh, it was a special time in my life, man, and I'll never forget it. Well, everybody, welcome to Dirty Kurtz Dugout. As you can see, uh, Vita Blue is our guest today, and I'm uh, I'm partial towards him because he brings back a lot of memories of my major league career. Uh, good ones, too, even though we used to get our butt kicked a lot by him. Uh, Vita, one of, the, uh, <laughs> one of the listeners wanted to know uh, who was the most challenging major league batter you ever faced? Now you don't have to say me, but who was? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't pick one guy, but I can pick a handful. I can tell you that I pitched the Al Kaline, I pitched the George Brett, I pitched the Tony Gwynn, I pitched the Rod Carew, uh, I pitched to Reggie Jackson, I pitched to Dave Winfield, I pitched to uh, Willie Stargell, I pitched to Hank Aaron. I pitched to Willie Mays, man. But, you know, the guys that Robin Yunt, those guys, uh, George Brett was a tough out to me, even though it was lefty on lefty. As I mentioned, I mentioned uh, Carew and I mentioned Tony Gwynn, and, and I got to put George Brett up there. Those might beat some of the three of the toughest outs that I ever faced. I'll give you that trio of names. And as I mentioned, they're all left-handed here, but they were great, great, great guys that had good hand-eye contact. And they let the ball travel in so deep on them. They would slap that ball in the left field. And they were some tough, very tough outs. But I'll give you those three. I can't come up with one name, man. Well, yeah, coming up with one is tough. Uh, I'm going to ask you yes, one other question before you go. And I'm going to bring bring it back to, I think, it was 1976. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I remember this happening. And it was when Charlie tried to sell you to the Yankees and Raleigh and Joe Rudy to the Red Sox <laughs> for yeah, like for sure. uh, you for a million bucks. And those two, he tried to get a million apiece for you guys, right? Yes. Yes, he did. That's exactly true. So he didn't want to give you a $30,000 raise after you went <laughs> – after you go, you went 24 games and throw 300 innings, but he wants to sell you for a million bucks. That he was going to keep every penny of it, though. <laughs> yeah, because there was no trade involved. Yeah, and Bowie, Bowie Kuhn stepped in, and that – you know what? That was really – you. Your your doings with Charlie had a lot to do with the challenging of the reserve clause 
as we know it today. Absolutely. And with Marvin Miller. Absolutely. Yeah, the because late Marvin, Marvin the late, you know, we Marvin we struck the year, the year that you sat out, uh, and and wouldn't sign and went back to work for somebody. It's nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, that was the first year we ever had a player strike. Yeah, and, and uh, it was it was it was good. For, I'm glad the unity of the of the major league itself was was very uh, consistent. Uh, unfortunately, other sports don't have the the backing that we have as as players, and I, I still give our union strokes today for being so unified and standing up for what we thought was right. But again, we owe it all to a man named a late great Marvin Miller. And and a lot of people don't know how great he was. I'm glad that uh, that you recognize that Vita. Uh, who you got? Dodgers or Giants? Man, uh, they're so close, man. And you know the Giants are there. I think they're on a on a three game. I mean a three year building plan. And you know it's okay to be a year or so ahead of your of your of your program. But the Dodgers look so good on paper. But the games aren't played on paper, man. You got to go out there and do it between the lines. But uh, I'm a, I'm I'm going with the Dodgers. They looked so good last night. Well, I got to tell you. I think the Dodgers can be pitched to. And I think the Giants have a couple of guys on their staff that uh, that can do that pitching. And I, I think the Giants are going to win it, even though I think it's going to go five games. So we will see. Okay, that'll be good. I'll have to, good I'm going to text yes, you when that hurt. series is over. And, uh, we'll <laughs> and uh, I would say to you, if, if the Dodgers win it. There you go. There you go. Vita, I really appreciate you taking the time out and coming on. If uh, if we ever get in the same area, we got to uh, we got to touch base and hug. I miss you, buddy. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate my pleasure, Kurt. Anytime. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, talk to you later, Kurt. Bye bye. Vita Blue, one of the best left-handed pitchers that the big leagues has ever seen. And how can you not ask a guy, and this is on me, how can you not ask a guy when you got him on about all the discussion and all of the arguing that the guys on MLB do every day, and I love it, by the way, Brian Kenny with uh, trying to sell Otani for winning the Most Valuable Player Award, even though he's a pitcher and he's a 250 hitter. But he hit 48 home runs. How do you have a guy on the air that won the Cy Young Award and the Most Valuable Player Award in the same year? The same year he won... I guess there's really not that much he can say about it. I mean, what would I have asked him? So now I feel better about myself. I mean, what what was I going to say? What was it like? I don't want to ask stupid-ass questions like I see these post-game interviews going on where they ask the dumbest questions that I've ever seen in my life. And they got the mic on in the stadium. Have you noticed that? I didn't really notice that until COVID, where they were standing away from the players, but they had the mic on. And there weren't very many fans in the stands, and that's why I noticed, because you could hear the reverberation going in the stadium. Hey, I want to thank John McDowell and Joe Nelson, Kyle Lundy, Terrence Morgan, T. Congratulations on last night. I know those are your boys. You know what? As hard fought as that game was, it it was okay with Chris Taylor hitting that home run because he had been struggling. I think the St. Louis Cardinals threw him a terrible pitch selection. Uh, when a guy's struggling like he is at the plate, you don't speed up his bat. 
by hanging a breaking ball. And I know the pitcher didn't try to hang it, but boy, you've got to miss it out of the strike zone. That's all there is to it. And bust guys with hard stuff. And I'm talking about almost everybody. That's just the way it is. And anybody that wants a, a report on how to pitch the Dodgers, give me a call. Because I know you're out there. I know your advanced scouts have given you reports. Let's see if it matches. And if they don't, we'll see who's right. I guarantee I know how to pitch these guys. So I mentioned before Vita came on, and, and again, I welcome all comments. I welcome uh, anybody wanting to ask me a question or arguing a point for that matter. Join. Join in. I can see your comments right here on the air, and we will put them on. We will put you on. Uh, and the day will come where you'll be able to call in and get on the screen. We, we, we're working on that. It might be new to Alan, who's our technical guru, but that's, uh, that's something I want to see. So I'm hoping that, uh, that we get that soon. So getting back to Eddie Robinson, who recently passed away this week, uh, at his ranch outside of Dallas at the ripe old age of, of 100. 100 years old. Wow. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good life. And this guy did lead, leave a, lead a good life. And the story uh, that I want to share with you is um, involves a pitcher on the 78 Texas Ranger baseball team that while we were out taking batting practice and pregame drills, word started to get around that Roger Moret You can Google him. Was standing in the clubhouse with one leg extended, one arm extended, and a shower shoe in one hand. If you don't know what a shower shoe is, they are open-toed, rubberized shoes that major league players, and I'm sure players from other professions, although I, I've never been in a locker room during shower time of an NFL team or an NBA team or anything like that, but they're, they're shoes you wear in the shower. So your actual skin doesn't hit the grime that uh, might be on the bottom never know in a, in a locker room. But Roger Moret is like this. I'm talking for hours. What it was and turned out to be was Roger Moret was in a catatonic state. Until that night, I had no idea what a catatonic state was. I know kind of what it is now, but I really never knew at all what it was. But he was in a catatonic state. He came out of it. They called the paramedics. The paramedics came. Eddie Robinson and Dan O'Brien, the general manager and co-general manager of the Texas Rangers, were in the locker room. And the game was maybe, I think, by the time we got to the point that I'm going to talk to you about, um, I was in there with John Ellis and I want to say it was Paul Lindblad, 
but it was one of the relief pitchers. And Brad Corbett, the owner of the team, was also in there. And they were doing everything in their power to kind of get Roger to get it together. And he wanted to talk to his sister in Puerto Rico. Naturally, there weren't any cell phones. So they brought a landline. And he got on the phone with his sister. He got off the phone. And I think Eddie Robinson, I don't think, Eddie Robinson went up and said something to him about every, is everything okay and all of that. And he reached up and slapped Eddie Robinson. Now, this is 1978. So we're talking about 40-some years ago. You know, Eddie Robinson was, I say, only. He was only 60 years old, 58, 59 years old. John Ellis, who was on our team and was a former Yankee also, uh, is was one of those guys that you didn't want to mess with. And he grabbed Roger so that he's not going to go on this punching or slapping spree with other people. And Roger went upside down when John grabbed him after he had slapped, hit uh, Eddie Robinson. And the paramedics had to put him in a straitjacket. So that's how bad it got. So we were instructed. This is the best part. Uh, we were instructed by Brad Corbett, the owner of the team, who got the clubhouse attendant to go in and get uh, Lynn Blatt, I believe it was, uh, John Ellis and myself, a dozen or two baseballs. Because Brad did not want pictures taken of Roger Moret being transported to the inside the ambulance, which was parked outside. And there were photographers and sports writers in the bushes. So we were let go. Being able to go out and pellet them with baseballs. It was a joy. It really was. It was fun. I don't think we tried to hit anybody. At least I didn't. If I even if I did, I probably wouldn't have. But just the same, it was fun. It was fun. Hey, before I go, I got to tell you something. I grew up in Miami, and I didn't know what a borough was. And the boroughs that I'm talking about are the boroughs of Manhattan and the boroughs of Brooklyn, where my dad came into the house one night and he told me that the Dodgers and the New York Giants were moving. And I said, what do you mean? I was only nine years old. I go, where are they moving? I go, I'll still be able to see them on TV, right? Because they always played my team, which was my team for one reason. And it was because of number seven on the Yankees. We all know who that was, Mickey Mantle. The reason that I chose number seven when I got to the big leagues. But the team that was really in my heart because of Duke Snyder and Pee Wee Reese was this team. The Brooklyn Dodgers, not the Los Angeles Dodgers. This remains my most favorite hat of all time. And I don't think that'll ever change. I love that hat. And when I wear it, I don't think for one minute that I'm a Dodger fan. I just like it. The reason I'm bringing up those stats is because this series coming up is going to be a hell of a series. And the series that I'm talking about is the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers. They open up two games 
Then they go back to L.A. and play two. And then if they have to return to San Francisco uh, for one game, they do. Uh, they will. I think it's going to go that far. I think these two teams are going to slug it out. They're going to be close. I don't know if we're going to see a blowout in the five games, at least four games, that we see these two teams play. And I'll tell you why. And history backs it up and the numbers back it up. They have played one another, and I got to look at this because it's big numbers. 2,535 times, 2,535 times in the history of these two franchises. And there are only 22 games that separate the record. They're 12. 169 and 1247. And the Giants are ahead in that series. This year, they're 10 and 9. So it continues. And yep, the 10 games are the Giants. It's amazing. So two of the storied franchises in baseball are playing each other in the postseason for the first time in the modern era. That's amazing. These two teams have never met in the postseason. As good as they both have been. I look for great things. Last night was a nail-biter. I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, Dave Roberts goes out and takes out Max Scherzer. I thought Max Scherzer was going to bite his little head off. It was crazy. And then Schulte goes out and takes out Wainwright. I thought Wainwright was going to break him in half. So you got Scherzer, you've got Wainwright on opposite sides of the field where their catchers don't even want to go out and talk to him because these guys get in a zone and that's where they want to stay. So there are good series happening. We're going to see if the Houston Astros continue to kick it and take it to the Chicago White Sox. We're going to see what's going to happen in that other division with the Red Sox and the Rays. I think the Rays are going to surprise a lot of people. There are people that uh, – believe it's going to be Kyle Lundy, believes it's going to be the Brewers and the Rays. Uh, there's a lot of opinion out there on what's going to happen. There's a lot of opinion going on in San Diego as to who's going to be the manager of this club in 2022. And was Jace Tingler at fault? Well, You've seen my post, and although I might not have come out and said it, I think Jace Tingler was the fall guy for a lot of other stuff that went on this year. Could he have been a little more assertive in the clubhouse? Do you go up and tell a $340 million player to quit acting like a fool? Yeah, after you get to know him a little bit. This ball club didn't give Jace Tingler an opportunity to get to know Fernando Tatis. And that's why Coach Dickerson stepped in and maybe said something to Fernando in the dugout, therefore prompting the team leader in Manny Machado to get into Fernando Tatis's face, which created a little bit of turmoil in the dugout and all kinds of speculation arose from it. Has Jace Tingler lost the team? He had gotten ejected from that game. How in the hell are you going to blame him for losing the team? Fernando struck out and he brought it back into the dugout and was complaining in a game that this ball club needed to win. So I think a lot of stuff 
came out in the last two to three weeks about the San Diego Ball Club and why 2021 wasn't as successful as they anticipated and we all thought it was going to be, even with the start that they had. Next week, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. We're going to talk about what my opinion is of who this ball club should hire, what this ball club should do, the lineup that this ball club's got to throw out there, barring major changes. I know there's going to be some, but every club undergoes changes throughout the course of most winters, very seldom in baseball anymore. Do you see a club go from one year, the same lineup to the next? Doesn't happen very often. So next week, we're going to chat about it. If you want to join, I want you to join in just like other people have joined in today. Uh, I thank Vita Blue. Um, I thank Alan, our technical guru who filled the shoes of producer Joe today because Joe was out. And uh, I thank everybody that, uh, that tuned in. Uh, keep doing it. We are, uh, we're going out of here until next week. Uh, right now, I have, uh, I have another charity golf tournament to play in this weekend that I'm looking forward to. I always do. It's Boomer Wells, David Wells. And the guys that he fights for are Winded Warriors. And I love it. And it's a fun time. Uh, if you're in the area, come out and see us at Saquon. Uh, if you want to go on David's uh, uh, website and uh, throw a little donation in there, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Uh, but until next week, uh, I want to thank our title sponsor, Hacienda Casablanca, out uh, in El Cajon. Uh, watch for the couple of lives that I have between now and uh, the course of the weekend, because uh, I will make an announcement on when the next watch party is going to be out at Hacienda. And I want to say, I want to try to talk them into Tuesday. They, they have Taco Tuesday. And you guys don't want to miss that, I promise you. But uh, Tuesday's good because it's a good opportunity to really take a look uh, at everything that's going on in baseball before the National League and American League Championship Series. So, again, I thank all of you. I thank you for your comments. And until next week, goodbye, everybody.